Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit lifepointpb.com. If you need a Bible this morning, as the ushers have them in hand, just wave at one of these guys, and they'd be happy to pass the Bible to you. Turn over to Matthew chapter 7 and Luke 23. Matthew chapter 7 and Luke 23, but just if you need a Bible, just wave. We put the scripture on the overhead, which this one was doing funny things this morning. I don't think it was intended to flicker like that, but uh, I was thinking, is this a new effect we're doing? But it wasn't doing it over here, so I assume this one was doing funny things. But um, Matthew chapter 7 and Luke chapter 23. Last week, we started chapter 7 and, and really moved quickly. As a matter of fact, some of you were surprised that we could move that quickly. And, uh, and some of you were really astonished when we actually finished when we did. Um, but we, we moved through judge not, to be not judged. And we, um, we looked at that, those first five verses, and again, we, we moved through them very quickly. I'm not going to recap for the sake of time this morning, but I will say this that Jesus is making a point very, very clear. And you're going to see it. It stands out in verse 6 today as we pick it up there in, in the Sermon on the Mount. But he's not saying that we should not be discerning. That's not what he's saying. He makes it really, really clear that we must be discerning. As a matter of fact, we're going to see that in verse 6 where we start. What he was speaking to very clearly, and we talked about this last week, he wasn't talking about discernment. He was talking about prejudice. Prejudice. By the way, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just chase a quick rabbit, okay? Um, there is a lot of what is being labeled racial tension in our nation right now. And I believe there is some of that. I believe there is racism in our country. I believe there are those individuals who simply judge another person and they make assumptions about that person and actually have animosity toward a person for no other reason than their race. And there are those individuals. But I don't think when I'm talking to this group of people, at least I'm certainly hopeful, that that's not applicable in this group. I am not a racist. God has done a work in my heart and I am not. But I can be prejudiced. I struggle with prejudice but so do you. You say, wait a second, you just said we weren't racist. They're not the same, people. Racism and prejudice are not the same. Prejudice comes from the word, basically it's two words. It's pre-Judas, not Judas like Judas Iscariot, but Judas like justice or judgment. When you prejudge a situation or a person, you are showing prejudice. In other words, you look at someone or something and you make an assumption or a decision or a conclusion without information, without facts, without knowing, or based on past experience that does not necessarily relate to this situation, then you and I are prejudging something. That can be based on someone's ethnicity or their race or their social standing or where they grew up. Matter of fact, this is exactly what the Pharisees did and other Jews did to Jesus. Can anything good come out of Galilee? 
That's a, that's a prejudiced statement. Can anything good come from there? They had already, based on an area, a territory, say nothing good can come from there. We have to be very, very careful. And that's what Jesus is warning about when he says, judge not, don't get involved in prejudice. And by the way, that's a work of the Spirit in our life because we can do it in so many different ways. When that person in traffic that's frustrating you and you're questioning their intelligence, all right, that is prejudice. You don't know that they are a moron, you're just calling them that, okay? You have nothing to base that on. You say, well, they're driving. If we're going to use that standard, then we must apply it equally. Have you ever done something in your driving career that was stupid and moronic? Yes. Yes. Do you understand what Jesus is saying here? Prejudice. Be aware of it. It sneaks in all kinds of ways. He says, you are not to be involved in it. And he says, here's one of the ways I'm going to help you with that. Deal with the stuff in you first. By the work of the Holy Spirit, let me, let me reveal what's going on in you first. And then you'll be more capable and prepared to come alongside and to encourage and assist your brothers and sisters. He gets to verse 6. And he keeps on. It, it continues. The story continues. This is how we know that he doesn't mean in verse, the first couple of verses not to use discernment. Because verse 6 requires us to use discernment. Notice what it says. Matter of fact, if I were entitling this message today, I'd call it Pearls and Pigs. Um, but just because it's, you know, make you think. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, in this verse, forget your Americanized thought of dogs and pigs. He's, Jesus is not talking about pets. He's not talking about the dog that's the family, it's part of the family and you love. Okay, that is not what he's talking about. Dogs in the Middle East, especially in this time, were generally wild. They did not have masters. They did not have homes. They scavenged for food. They were, over the, they were usually considered a nuisance, dirty, unclean, undesirable. That's the reason the Jews called the Samaritans dogs. It was an incredible insult. It wouldn't be a real nice thing to say now, but it was an incredible insult then. And so when he says dogs, he's not talking about your family pet that you love so much. When he says pigs, my daughter would like to have a pet pig. I told her only if we get to eat him later on. And, and so um, she doesn't want that kind of pig, that kind of pet pig. Um, the, the reality is that we're not talking about pets. Jesus isn't talking about pets here. He's talking about things that are undesirable, things that would be considered unclean, things that would be considered a nuisance, destructive even. Wild, wild boar, wild dogs. He says, don't take what's holy and give it to wild dogs. Don't take pearls that are a great treasure and throw them to wild pigs who don't have any appreciation for them. They're just going to trample them underfoot, and then they're going to turn on you. Discernment is what he's saying here. You need to have discernment. Now, 
If you hear in my message today that you're supposed to go out because someone's popped into your mind and you're supposed to go out and call them a dog or a pig and not talk to them anymore, you're not hearing my message, okay? That is not what I'm saying. But I am saying that Jesus wants you and I to have discernment when it comes to sharing truth. You must have discernment. You must. Now, how do we have that? There's a couple examples I want you to look at. One of them is in, in Luke 23. We're going to come back to Matthew 7, but I want you to go over to Luke 23 with me for just a minute. Because Jesus is going to give us some insight here. And then the Apostle Paul is also going to give us some insight in another passage in Acts 13. But in Luke 23, Jesus is before Herod Antipas, or Herod the Tetrarch is his name. This is not the same Herod that when Jesus was born that was trying to kill him. All right, This is his son. All right, Herod Antipas is the son of Herod the Great, who was king when Jesus was born. Herod Antipas is the, or Tetrarch, the one we're talking about here in Luke 23. He is the one who is pointed, that he's a Roman appointee who is ruler over Galilee. All right, that's important because that's where Jesus is from. That's his home territory, his home turf. And he is not the supreme leader or governmental official. That would be Pilate. Pilate is the Roman governor over all of what we would call Israel. But Herod was appointed by Rome to be governor or ruler over Galilee, over that particular area. And so when Jesus comes to Pilate, because Pilate has to give the okay, the Jews can't kill Jesus unless Pilate signs off on it. And Pilate doesn't want to sign off on it. It's clear when you read the scripture, he's not sure that Jesus is guilty. And they come and he, he, he figures this is a petty squabble over religious matters with the Jewish leaders. And so he really doesn't want to be involved in it. And so he hears, the scripture says he hears that Jesus is from Galilee and he thinks, ah, I have it out. I can just pass the buck. I can kick this can on down. I can send him over to Herod because that's where he's from. And that's what he does. He sends him over to Herod. Herod's excited about this because he's wanted to see Jesus. There are two other mentions of Herod and Jesus earlier in the scripture, actually in the book of Luke. In Luke chapter 9, it tells us that Herod, when he heard about Jesus and the miracles that he was doing and the preaching that he was doing, said, it is John the Baptist come back from the dead because Herod's the one who had John the Baptist's head cut off. And he was a little worried. And so he was trying to find out, is this really John the Baptist come back from the dead? Who is this? So that's one mention of Jesus and Herod in Luke chapter 9. But it says that Herod couldn't find him. Jesus was off in different territories and other places, and Herod couldn't find him. And he didn't dare go send an armed guard to get him and pull him in because he was afraid of the people because they loved John so much and respected John, and he'd already killed John. So he didn't do anything. Later on, the Pharisees want Jesus to be afraid and leave Galilee and go into Judea because they feel like they can watch him better and also prosecute him better if he's in Judea. And so they come to Jesus and they say, Herod's looking, you've got to leave here. Herod's looking to kill you. And Jesus says, tell that fox, all right, that I'm here, and this is my paraphrase, but I'm here until the, I'm finished with the Father's business, and then I'm going on to Judea, and then I'll be delivered to you, and you'll do what you've got to do. So those are two references we have with Jesus and Herod before this one. And now all of a sudden, Herod gets to see Jesus face to face. And he, as a matter of fact, we know according to the scripture, he's very excited about this because it says that the thing that happened because of this, after this, 
Pilate and Herod were friends again. They had been at odds and they were friends because Pilate sent Jesus to Herod. And so in chapter 23, verse 9, it says, So he, Herod, questioned him, Jesus, at some length. I mean, he's asking him questions. He's talking at some length. We don't know how long, but, t- but time has passed. Quite a bit of time has passed. But he made, who made no answer? Jesus made no answer. Why not? Because Jesus followed his own, his own teaching. Don't throw that which is holy before the dogs. Don't cast your pearl before swine. Jesus has already identified the heart of Herod. Now, if you want to see it more clearly, and this will help you and me in identifying when the Lord would have us keep our mouth shut, look at verse 11, same chapter, verse 11. Just two verses down. And Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him, then arrayed him in splendid clothing and sent him back to Pilate. All right, so you're asking me, how do I know when I should do like Jesus when I'm before a Herod and I should keep my mouth shut? The word contempt there, the root of that word means childish or childlike. And they mocked him and they put a robe on him. Basically, you can picture in a schoolyard, nah, 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 and they're making fun and they're throwing insults and different things. All right, there is this childishness, mocking that's going on. Anybody ever experienced that because of Jesus? Jesus said, in that situation, don't try to share truth. Don't try to share truth. There's no heart to receive it. There are no ears to hear. You say, well, the truth sets people free only if it's received. You say, well, how do you know that's true? Look around you, people. There's truth everywhere. There has never been a time when there was more proclamation of the truth in this country and around the world than right now. In so many mediums. And yet it seems fewer and fewer people actually receive it. So Jesus is telling us, hey, don't throw that which is holy to the dogs. Don't cast your pearl before swine. If someone is in this childish, immature, childlike way, mocking, and insulting and trying to do this that is not an atmosphere now do you get mad and punch him in the nose i mean proverbs does says the ringing of the nose brings forth blood you say it's scriptural <laughs> see you can find a scripture to justify just about anything so i'm just i'm just applying scripture the ringing of the nose brings forth blood i mean peter whacked an ear off come on lord Can I at least get a punch in? No. Jesus said, no, we're not going to do that. You're going to love them. You're going to pray for them. You never stop praying for them. We talked about that last week, right? God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. But I may not try to share truth with you at the moment because it's not receivable at that moment. It takes discernment to be able to do this. And Jesus said, I want you to have it. I I don't want you to be prejudiced, but I do want you to be discerning. Well, there's another example in Acts 13. This is the Apostle Paul. He's in Antioch of Pisidia, I believe, which is in modern-day Turkey. And he's there, and he's preaching, and he's teaching. As was his custom, he went to the Jews first. He goes to the synagogue, and he's teaching to the Jews. This is Acts 13, verse 44. He said, The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. 
I love this. This wasn't just Jews. This was Jews and Gentiles. You're going to see that in just a minute. The whole city gathers. Almost the whole city gathers to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. Folks, when people are mistreating you, there is always an underlying cause. Always. It's hard for us to see it, and in the heat of an emotional moment, even hard to, to receive it. But if we would ask the Lord by His Spirit to give us wisdom and insight, there is always an underlying cause when someone is mistreating, when they are misusing you, when they are abusive to you, there is an underlying thing. Now, some situations you don't have any control over. And so I, I get that. But often in our relationships, God wants to give us wisdom as to what's going on underneath. Why are they responding this way? Why are they attacking this way? They were filled with jealousy, and they began to... Now here, you need to see this. They began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. Okay, this is really important. They began to contradict. Now this is different than the na 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 childish kind of stuff. And let's put a robe on him, pretend he's king, mock him. This is different. This is a hatred, um, an anger, a bitterness that's inside that says, no, what you're saying is not right. That's not truthful. That's not right. So you're trying to speak the truth, and they're saying, no, that's not truthful. That's not right. And on top of that, they are reviling the word. And some of some, the old King James said they were blaspheming him. They were blaspheming. They were attacking his character. They were attacking who he is and his motive and his purpose for what he was doing. So I want you to notice what Paul does. Look at the next verse. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. He's talking to the Jews. Since you, you thrust it aside and judge yourselves, on, we don't judge you. We are not prejudiced toward you. We came to you first, but you have judged yourself. You predetermined you're not worthy to hear it. You're unworthy of eternal life. You don't want to receive it. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. What is he saying? Truth needs to be spoken, but it can't be spoken to a closed heart. A, a heart that won't receive it. You're often making matters worse, not better. So he said, for so the Lord, next verse, has commanded us saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. By the way, aren't you so glad the Lord said that because when he start, took the gospel to the Gentiles, that includes most of us. We get included because the Jews didn't want to hear it because their hearts were hard. At least this particular group of Jews, not all the Jews, but this particular group. Now notice what he said, and when the Gentiles, no, I love this next part, when the Gentiles heard this, they began to rejoice and glorify the word of the Lord. They rejoiced in the truth. They rejoiced in what was being shared with them. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. There was salvation that was taking place. Lives being changed. Why? Because Paul and Barnabas had discernment by the Holy Spirit that it would be fruitless and actually counterproductive to keep trying to speak truth into this situation. So let's stop and go where the Lord has opened the door and hearts are open and speak the truth. All right? 
These are two very important examples for us. There are others, I just picked these two, because they help us in understanding when to be quiet. When you see that contempt, that childish mocking, and often that mocking can be one individual, but often they like to have company. And so usually there's a group of them. And they play off of one another. And they're laughing and having a great time just mocking in their childishness. Just be quiet. Pray. Love. Express the love of the Lord. But don't try to speak truth. Not at that moment. The Lord may give you another opportunity. One thing I've learned, I've been doing this a while, when you've got a group and they're playing off of each other, it's, it's almost impossible to, to break into that. But a lot of times... If you can talk to people one-on-one when they're not in the group, it's amazing what the Lord will do. And so it's just been my experience. That's happened often. It's why when we used to when we were doing youth ministry, if you, had, if you had a scorner or a mocker in the group and they were kind of a ringleader and gathering others, my goal was always I'm going to separate them out. I need to talk to them individually. As long as they're in the group, they're playing off of all this. But that's not just true with teenagers. It's true with adults as well. All right, so let's go back to Matthew 7. So Jesus says, don't be prejudiced. Allow the conflict, the relational conflict that comes up in your life to be a catalyst for you to, go, to come to me and say, Lord, is there anything that you, is there a log in my own eye that I don't see that you want to deal with first? Start there. But then as the Lord's dealing with that, he does want you and I to be engaged in coming alongside our brothers and sisters and encouraging and helping and strengthening, even at times correcting when it's necessary in a loving way. He wants us to be engaged in that. Once he's dealt with prejudice and once he's dealt with this other stuff, the other log in our own eye, whatever that might be, the stuff in our own heart, then we're more prepared to say, okay, Lord, now use me to encourage my brother and sister. But he says, I want you to be discerning about this because not everybody's open and ready to receive truth. So don't just try to force it. Don't don't give that which is holy to the dogs. Cast your pearl before swine. You say, Troy, this seems complicated. I mean, how do I know? How do I know when I'm prejudiced? How do I know when it's my problem more than their problem? How do I know if someone is mocking and scorning or if someone is reviling and blaspheming and I should be quiet instead of trying to speak? How do I know? Jesus knew you were going to ask that question. So he answered it. Look at verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. You know what? This became so clear this time as I was going through the Sermon on the Mount, and as many times, I've memorized the Sermon on the Mount. I've been through it over and over again. I never saw this before. We take this next section of Scripture and we pull it out and we use it as kind of our, our, our platinum card with God. Whatever you want, just ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. What is the context of this? What is the context? It is the context is how we relate with one another in prejudice dealing with our own stuff and, and being discerning not to cast truth before those whose hearts are not open to receive it. That's the context, right? We've already established that. Do you realize that the word of God is inspired, but the chapters and verses are not, all right? 
the titles, the subtitles and things, that the, 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 the markers or dividers in your Bible are not divinely inspired. They're man-made. And they're very helpful. I'm glad they're there. Can you imagine the whole Bible with no distinction in it? I mean, if there was nothing but the beginning, Matthew, and then you go for 28 chapters, all of that text, but there's no break in it, you'd think, what in the world? How would you ever find anything? Exactly. So man put the dividers in there. All right? They put chapters and verses and breaks, and it's a very helpful tool, but it's not divinely inspired. All of this is the same context. It's all the same story. Jesus is talking about all the stuff we've been talking about, and then he says, when you don't know what to do, which is normal to feel like, Lord, I don't know how to figure all this out, he says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open unto you. For he who asks receives and he who seeks finds and he who knocks it's opened to him and then he goes on just to emphasize the point he gives a great illustration he says you guys are parents and grandparents you have siblings you have family members you have people that you really love he says parents grandparents whoever you are your children your grandchildren they come to you and they ask you for bread and you say, here, have this rock. Go, go gnaw on that a while. See if you can get some, I'm hungry. Yeah, here, here's your rock. No, we wouldn't dream of doing that. And they say, I'm hungry. I need some protein. Can I have a fish? Well, here's a serpent. You know, here's a scorpion. You know, and it's alive. Go, go have fun. It's, it's humorous, isn't it? That's, see, we read the Bible and we're too serious, you know? Jesus told jokes. I mean, this is funny. He's telling them, God, would you do that? And they're like, no, Jesus, we would not do that. He says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give good things, good gifts to those who ask him? I love it in Luke. I think it's Luke 11, this same story. He says there, how, how much more will the Heavenly Father not give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? You say, well, he gave me the Holy Spirit when I got saved. Yes, he did. But don't you need the work, the power of the Holy Spirit, the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, when you're trying to figure out, you know, am I, am I prejudiced? Am I judging? Or am I discerning? Is this someone I should share the truth with or I shouldn't share the truth with? Is there something going on in my own heart? Is that why I can't relate with this person correctly? Is there something else going on here? I need to know. Holy Spirit, help me. I need to know. Ask. You'll give it. Seek. You'll find. Knock. It'll be opened to you. That's the context. It's relationship. Now he's going to give you, after he does that, he tells you, what to do, he gives you an illustration to, to emphasize the point, and then he's going to give you an overriding principle to see how you're doing in it, okay? He's going to say, here's a, here's a standard that you can use, here's a measurement that you can use to see how you're growing in this. We call it the golden rule. But we pull it out of its context. What's the context of asking? What's the context of the golden rule? It's how we relate to one another. It's how we're doing with this prejudice thing and judging thing and the stuff that's going on inside of us. So he says, 
So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. It's all kind of wrapped up here. That's interesting, because this is twice that Jesus talks about the law and prophets. The other time he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. On this, hang all the law and the prophets. Here again, he says, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. He's making it shorter, narrowing it down a little bit more here. He's saying, what do you want people to do for you? Do that for them. Do you want people to listen to you and become a good listener? Do you want people to cut you a little slack when you mess up? Then why don't you cut them some slack when they mess up? Do you want them to think the best of you? No matter what? Why don't you think the best of them? Why don't you give them the benefit of the doubt? Do you want them to just speak in a way that encourages you and doesn't suck the life out of you? We have a term around our house, we call that, you're being a life sucker, just cut it out. Just sucking, just sucking the life out. If you want them not to be a life sucker, don't you be a life sucker. That's what Jesus is saying. Is this not complex, people? Oh, it's not easy either, but it's not complex. He says the way you want to be treated, treat. It's that simple. You want respect? Then give it. You want love? Then give it. You want honor? Then give it. Now, again, it is so important. And by the way, people have asked me. They ask me sometimes different questions. They say, Pastor, are you Arminian or Calvinist? I say, yes. Um, they, they ask me, do you teach expositorily or topically? I say, yes. Um, and, and here's the reason why. Because when you go through something expositorily, you get to see the context of it. There's also benefit in times to go through, through things topically. And we will do that at times. And usually I alternate between those. Old and New Testament. But because we're going through this expositorily right now, through this passage, that means verse by verse, you get to see the context. Now we've already discovered that this passage that we use as kind of our, our heavenly credit card, ask and you shall receive, seek and you'll find, whatever I ask for, I'm going to receive. No, that's not what he's saying. The context of this is in relationship, when you want wisdom and understanding about being discerning and not judgmental. When you're asking the Holy Spirit to show and reveal what's going on in your own heart, he will do that. Okay, we understand that with that passage. Here's another one that we have used, but we've taken it out of context. What does he say in verse, let's go back to verse 13 if we can. That's worth um, the one right before, here we go. Enter by the narrow gate. You say, well, what you, did he switch gears? No, same context, same story. Same message. Enter in by the narrow gate. What's the narrow gate? He just told you what the narrow gate is. Treat others the way you want to be treated. How do I know which situation is which? Ask and you shall receive. Okay? Seek and you'll find. Okay? Enter in by the narrow gate. What is he saying? Not a lot of folks are going to live this way. 
For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Now we have interpreted this as a salvation verse and it can be applied that way. As when I was in biblical studies, they emphasized it. They, they bore it into us. Scripture has one interpretation and many applications. Make sure you understand the interpretation, the context of this particular verse. This verse can be applied to salvation. But that's not the interpretation here. The interpretation is enter by the narrow gate. When you're relating to people, when you're walking this path with people, enter by the narrow gate, which is what I've just described to you. For the gate is wide and the way is easy to do like everybody else, which is to judge and be prejudiced, to figure that the problems of the whole world is always somebody else and never me. Everybody can do that. It doesn't take any work of the Spirit to live that way. But he says that way leads to destruction. Don't we see evidence of that? And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is, is, is narrow, verse 14, and the way is hard. If you've been taking notes or just thinking, oh, this is really good, I like that, that's really good, yeah, that's good and you don't understand or hear this, what we're talking about, what Jesus is talking about here, is hard. You may not find anything harder in your walk in this life to relate to people this way. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Now, does this apply to salvation? Sure, absolutely. I'm not disputing that. But the context that Jesus is sharing it right now is in how we relate to each other. That's the context. He says, I got a hard way for you. You're going to be tempted to go the easy way. You're going to be tempted to live life judging and prejudice and believing that it's always the other person who's at fault. You're going to go around feeling like a victim because someone's always hurt you and damaged you. And I am not denying the fact that we get hurt and damaged by other people. So don't hear me say that. We do. I'm saying that Jesus has a way to overcome that. Something that's greater than that. I don't have to live as a victim. I don't have to. I may have been victimized, but I don't have to live as a victim. That's what Jesus is saying. Matter of fact, that could be another message for this, another title for this message. Now, you cannot do this in your human effort and your fleshly strength. You can't. And if you think you can, then you think you're better than the Apostle Paul. Because the Apostle Paul said, hey, I did everything that man said you're supposed to do. And the Apostle Paul apparently had a tremendous willpower and just strength of, you know, just determination. And he lists all of his accomplishments. And, and then he says, but I count all of that as worthless. Literally, I mean, literally, the Greek says, I count it as dung, as excrement. All of that human effort, all of that trying, all that doing at my own strength, I count all of that as loss for the excellency of knowing Christ Jesus the work that he does by the power of his spirit in me the way he changes me that's why you have to ask that's why you have to seek and knock 
It's that picture again in Revelation. I said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus is standing there knocking. Well, now he reverses it in this one. He says, if you come knocking, I always open. I always open. If you're asked, you're going to get it. You're going to receive it. If you seek, I'll make sure you find it. I'll be like when our kids were little and we were doing Easter egg hunts, all right? And so you point them, go over there, go over there, go over there. Quick, go over there. And you stand and try to stand in the way so the other little kids don't find it. Go over here, go over here, go over here. <laughs> you make sure they find it. And they come in and then they pick it up. They, oh, I found it. They think they did something great. And you just smile. I think if we could get a bigger picture of who our Father is and how big His heart is for us, we wouldn't be able to stand it. We wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to bear it. We would feel like D.L. Moody did one day when God began to give him a glimpse, a revelation of who he is. And D.L. Moody shares it in his autobiography, and he said that day with the Lord, he said, I was just crying out to the Lord, and God began to reveal himself to me. And he said, it was so great and so heavy. He said, I had to ask, for, I felt like if the Lord didn't stop, I would die. I would die. If we could just get a glimpse. D.L. Moody said that after that day, he said, I preached the same messages, but nothing was the same. Nothing was the same. Because he had been changed. He had gotten a glimpse of who his father is. He said, before that day, all I could tell people was the judgment of God. He said, after that day, all that flowed out of me was the love of God. And God is judge. And there are consequences to sin. We don't minimize that. But the Bible doesn't say, when describing who God is, it doesn't say God is judge. He is a judge. We know that. But First John, how is he described? God is love. That's who he is. That's his heart. That's what he wants to do. He doesn't want to judge you and me. He, he has the right and the authority to do so, but that's not his heart. His heart is that you and I would see who he is and run to him and say, Daddy, I don't understand this. Would you explain it to me? He comes to me and says, Dad, I can't find what I'm looking for. I, I'm looking, but I, I, I shared with you my testimony. That was me that day on US-1. I was seeking. I was running. Lord, I can't find what I'm looking for. This is not it. And he says, it's all right. You seek. I'll make sure you find and if you knock, I will open it up. The door's wide open. You can come right on in. I'll do this for you. Folks, there is nothing harder in this life, in my opinion, than a relationship. Or more valuable. God is all about relationship. But there's nothing harder than doing it and doing it well. Doing it with life doing it with grace nothing harder Jesus is addressing that he's all about people I'm going to ask Lori to come play as she's coming I'll share this with you um, 
At Thanksgiving, we did the Myers-Briggs at our house. How many of you have ever done Myers-Briggs? Personality test? Um, it's free online if you want to do a kind of a, a scaled-down version of it. I'm sure there are more complicated ones that they charge you for, but this one's free. Um, 16personalities.com or something like that. Sometimes we feel like we have all 16 at once, but, um, but, um, but we did that as a family, everyone. And it's fun, and there's a lot of laughter, and you, and, but you begin to understand some things. Um, Katie and I, and actually Katie and Elizabeth and I, all scored the same personality, but with some distinction in it. Because I am, in Myers-Briggs, I am 64% extroverted, and that is high, okay? That is a growth process of, of 50 years, all right? I, I'm sure I was not that had I taken it a decade ago, all right? Because I am not really a strong extrovert. Um, although I also scored like 85% assertive, and that is true. I have always, I'm not an expert, I am assertive. Okay, I'll let you know what I want. If I want to talk to you, I'll let you know what I think. Um, so we're going through all this, and Katie scores the same way, but I found out hers, she's 97% extroverted. Oh man, does that explain stuff. Our whole life I have been exhausted with this child, all right? She's always wanting to go and do and be with people. Oh, I thought, now I get it. Why didn't we do this years ago? It doesn't make it any easier. I just understand it better, okay? Because she's still always wanting to go and be with people. And that's a good thing. Some of you are that way. Some of you are just, you're wired that way. Some are like someone I talked to this week, and they scored, took the same thing, and they are 90% introverted. All right, way other end of the scale. That means there's only about 10% of us they can even bear to talk to, all right? <laughs> and it's fun, and we see these things, and it's good to learn about ourselves and how God's made us. God's made us in certain ways, and then sin has also affected us in certain ways, and experiences have affected us in certain ways. And then there's the power of the Spirit at work in our life. Because I would say to you very extroverted people who always want to be around people, you can just be around people for the sake of the energy and the excitement of people, but not really get what Jesus is saying here. Because he's not talking about the people you want to be around. He's talking about the people that's hard to be around. And for you extroverts, you say, I don't have that problem. I just stay away from all people, so I don't have to worry about it. No, he's saying, I've got more for you. Yes, I made you, but I also have a supernatural work I want to do in you. You don't have to be, you don't have to swing over here and be whoever's on the, this end. You don't have to be the person on this end. I mean, in our family, Andrew is more introverted than he is extroverted. He doesn't have to be Katie, and Katie doesn't have to be him. But they both have to surrender to the Holy Spirit and let Jesus be king in them. And so do you. And I'll probably get an ear at lunch over using them, all right? I just happen to know them better, all right? Are you willing 
for God to do every day a work in your life so that he can live and work through you in relating to people the way he intends, not the way you intend. That's the message. I want you to stand with me. I'm going to ask my prayer partners to come here to the front. You just go ahead and move down here. When we close in just a minute, if we can pray with you about anything, that's our desire to do that. We want to pray with you. Whatever God's doing in your life, whatever he's speaking to you, we want to pray with you about that. But would you just simply say yes this morning? Would you say, Jesus, I believe what you say. When you tell me that I shouldn't judge, that I shouldn't be prejudiced, I believe you. God, I want you to do a work in my heart. and the prejudice. I want you to reveal to me the prejudice that's there. Again, remember, I didn't say racism. I said prejudice. They're different. Racism can be prejudice, but prejudice doesn't necessarily mean racism. What are you prejudiced? Is there prejudice in your heart? Are you prejudiced against another brother or sister in Christ? Would you say, yes, Jesus, I want you to show me that. That log that's in my eye, Jesus, I want you to reveal it to me. Show me what it is. And then, Lord, give me discernment. Jesus, give me discernment. So that I know when there are times I shouldn't be trying to speak the truth in that. I should be praying, I should be seeking you, but I shouldn't necessarily be talking at that moment. In that moment, I should be swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to get angry. And by the way, any of us at any moment can be that mocker, contemptible, blasphemer. That could be us. Even as believers, we can do that at times. So would you just ask him, Jesus, just tell him, Jesus, I want you to do a work in me in this I want you to work through me so that I relate to people the way you design me to relate to them that I fulfill your purpose in my life when it comes to my relationships with people that's really all you're just it doesn't have to look like anybody else it just has to be what Jesus designed are you willing for him to do that Lord, I thank you. I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you for how you're moving, how you're working in me and in us. And God, we get it. Relationships are hard. They're challenging. But you give us clear direction from your word. We receive it today, Lord. We receive it. Even what we don't understand, we receive. Lord, we receive it by faith and trust that you will reveal what we do not know. And Lord, whether we're extroverts or introverts or somewhere in between, whether we love being with people or feel drained when we're with people, Lord, it doesn't matter. Wherever we are on that spectrum, we surrender ourselves and say, Jesus, fill us. We ask for you to fill us. We ask for you to give us discernment and to reveal prejudice. 
to cause us to die to ourselves? Lord, would you cause us today to believe what you teach us? That to relate to people this way is not easy. It will cost us something, but it's worth it because it's what you've designed for us. God, help us to grow in it. God, help us to give one another the benefit of the doubt until we're able to walk through whatever the offense might be or the hurt of the misunderstanding. God, would you help us? We need your help. I need your help. And Lord, when we run across someone, they're not willing to receive and their heart is not open, would you give us a burning passion to pray for them, to cry out on their behalf, that you would move by your spirit and pour out your grace, their heart would be softened, their ears open, and that it would not be about me proving a point or being right, it would simply be your work in their heart is the only thing we care about. Doesn't matter what we look like or what they even think about us, only that you do your work in them. Because Lord, that's what you want us to do in us. We wanna pray for them the same way we pray for ourselves. God, do a work in us. This is what we believe. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for what you're doing in this place and in us. We give you all the honor and the glory. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we dismiss this morning... If we can pray with you about anything that's going on in your life, that'd be our privilege to do so. All right? I love you guys. Love doing life with you. God bless you. You're dismissed. <laughs>